The renowned theologian of the 21st century, Karl Barth, said, Take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspaper from your Bible. We couldn't give you any better advice. It is the Word of God that shapes our worldview. It is the only solid foundation remaining. When the views, opinions, and sides keep changing, the Word of God withstands the test of time and remains the only source of objective truth known to men. It's Saturday, May 8th, 2021, and as always, we're taking a look at the top stories that are showing up on the radar this week. First, we take a look at the implications of unlikely herd immunity. Then we examine the ripple effects of Trump's presidency. And we take a look at how the left continues to reshape our language. Finally, we dive into how LGBTQ affects sports and why all the money in the world can't buy love. Welcome to Lifering, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I'm joined by my co-captains, Vadim and Dennis. Hello. How are you, gentlemen? Uh, Not much. I haven't really done much this weekend, but pretty excited uh, for this upcoming Tuesday night, Wednesday day. Uh, I'm planning to go on a road trip uh, across the United States. You're going to see America. Yeah. If you guys are looking for a recommendation of a book that will make you cry... Uh, I'd recommend AC Theory, third edition. Did you say AC Theory, like as an electrical? Yeah, we're studying oh. it for training, <laughs> and I came away from it feeling different. Nice. <laughs> hey, so we can see that you've just begun listening to our show. First of all, welcome. It's uh, nice to be able to serve you in this way. Second of all, we actually we actually don't know you personally. We, we, we just see that a bunch of new people are listening, and that's how we know that you're one of them. So yeah, we're honored to have you as our listener. And if you've enjoyed the show so far, will you consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media? Because the whole profit of the show for now, at least, is the benefit that the listeners receive. And so by letting your friends know, you're passing along a gift of weekly current events life ring. All right, so you know... Whether we're still in pandemic or not depends on who you are and where you live and where you're looking for information. Is India doing horrible right now? Is Michigan swamped with cases? It's hard to be objective. You know, is your country doing good or bad? Is your family doing fine or not? Uh, Your job? uh, There's always going to be like layers of factors that will paint your world one way or the other. And so with that in mind, here's what's being reported regarding the pandemic around the world and here in the U.S. And it's really up to you to decide, you know, which part of it it makes sense and which doesn't. So India, if we're talking about India, you know, because we we covered it for the past few weeks, reportedly it's continuing to struggle with COVID. But then if you look, you know, into some other reports on the ground, I saw a vlogger, a Russian vlogger, my wife showed me, uh, he was like, hey, I'm in India, you know, and, and everything's fine here. He, you know, he walks through the restaurant, shows that, you know, people are working. Um, And so it sounds like not much has changed uh, from the perspective of those who live there. Again, it depends where. And I'm just wondering if, you know, these countries with higher than whatever is considered normal numbers are being used as a fear buffer to keep, you know, our own vaccination efforts going or whatever else, you know, the agenda of our country. And and again, this is just a conjecture because I've got no like solid stories that I found, you know, of saying that India is doing fine. But it just... It seems to be different kind of reporting coming out from different areas. And it could be city versus country perspective, right? Anyways, as of Friday, India reported 414,000 new coronavirus cases in the past day. 
So it looks like they're total at 21,491,598 cases total. Now, if you put this whole situation in perspective, listen to this. So India has 1.3 billion people, right? And since the pandemic started a year and a half ago, 1.5% of the population got sick. Of that 1.5%, the majority, in fact, 80% of those people recovered. And so only about 1% of the 1% who got sick died. So it's one thing to say, you know, they're doing really bad. I know there's shortages and with the oxygen and, and not enough resources. And it's one thing to say how bad it is. It's another thing to look at the numbers and realize, well, this is one of the world's biggest countries in terms of population. And so maybe maybe looking at the numbers, you know, might give you a slightly different picture. Nevertheless, the news is that they're overwhelmed and the countries around the world are, you know, sending aid. Uh, their current prime minister, Nare- what is it, Narendra Modi, is facing criticism, at least from the opposition, in regards of his premature celebration. So when the cases were at its lowest back in February, they celebrated. In fact, there's a lot of articles I found where it's like, why are India cases going down, right? And so there were a lot of people speculating why that's going on. The world kind of went like, hey, India's doing great. I guess that partially played into their hurried reopening. Yeah, it's interesting the spin that the media put on this crisis in India uh, until you take time to think about the numbers. You know, I think it's meant to push uh, because we're now we're having this whole conversation, uh, you know, basically b- between these countries about what to do with the intellectual property rights for the COVID vaccines, right? Because we're like, okay, India's in trouble, we need to help them. And so I think it's meant to, I think that re- over-reporting basically on the crisis in India is meant to push through these uh, patent waivers so that we have a precedent. Uh, we know that like the U.S. leads medical innovation worldwide. Uh, and this will be a chance for countries with socialized medicine to kind of close the gap. And that's not inherently a bad thing, I suppose, but it will damage uh, the case for privatized healthcare in the U.S. So because we lead in innovation uh, and the gap is getting closed. That's how I see it. Like, why would it matter whether the IP, uh, the, the what, intellectual property released or not? Well, the, the, If you can elaborate more, I guess. I think like the immediate effect is that all the basically all the companies that are profiting from it. So like Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, and you can take an example of basically anything like insulin, for example. But you see that the shares of the stocks of these companies are are tanking right now because of the talk that's going on about just releasing the patents. Anyways, the White House has changed its position apparently and now supports waiving intellectual property rights while I think uh, Germany uh, came out ardently against that. Another news I hear that um, WHO, The World Health Organization approved the sixth vaccine available for global purchase. So the sixth one is uh, called, I think, Sinopharm from Beijing. Oh, and remember the hydroxychloroquine. Well, Oklahoma apparently finally got their $2.6 million back for an order they placed, you know, way back when Trump was promoting it. I think their excuse was, um, well, we, we really wanted to, you know, ensure that we have enough for a country available, right? Because everybody, I guess, jumped to that point, or at least a lot of states did. And so they got their money back. They got the refund. They kept the receipt. Now, according to Axios, COVID has caused twice as many deaths around the world as have been reported. So they looked into this study that was done by the University of Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. And they're saying that basically U.S. undercounted deaths. They're also saying that death tolls in India, Mexico were found to be nearly three times the official numbers. They've said something to the extent that like Russia, for example, they have very narrow definitions of what a COVID death is. And because of that, have weak health reporting systems and the numbers are not there. You can make the same argument about overcounting them and just provide some provide some reason why they wouldn't be 
documented and say the same thing, spin it from the other side. As far as politicians go, it depends on who you're listening to and what you're paying attention to. So here's, for example, President Biden uh, this week saying, uh, on Tuesday, in fact, he set a new vaccination goal to deliver, deliver at least one shot to 70% adult Americans by July 4th. So his problem is, well, obviously the demand for vaccine has dropped nationwide. Some states are leaving half of their available doses unordered. And, and so he's trying to make it easier for people to get shots. And he's called for states to make vaccines available on a walking basis uh, rather than, I guess, creating an appointment. He's directed many pharmacies to do likewise. So he has a July 4th goal to vaccinate 70%, which is a very ambitious goal, I think, considering that we did stay, like it did come to, not a halt, but it's slowing down. I think at this point, people probably don't give Joe Biden as much credibility, even as they did at the beginning of his presidency. I think that we're going to wait for a second opinion. The nationwide mentality, I guess, goes, they're going to wait for a second opinion. They're going to get it from Dr. Fauci. And he's been comparing the you know, herd immunity to the, that of the malaria vaccine and stuff like that. So he's going to push for a higher percentage, I think. This is kind of like a soft, like a foot-in-the-door technique, I guess, with Joe Biden. He's like, oh, 70%, that sounds attainable. Uh, but then Fauci, no doubt, will will raise it up to, I think, 85 90%. In fact, let me let me finish with this other story, and I'll get we'll get back to herd immunity. So speaking of politicians, that's President Biden's view, right? You, t- you take a look at Florida, for example, where Governor Ron DeSantis suspended all local COVID emergency mandates. And he issued like an executive order to outlaw all local COVID-19 emergency mandates uh, in the state effective July 1st. He said there's ample availability of vaccines in the state. And the sub- you know especially that supply now has eclipsed the demand it is time to to open up. So again, two politicians, two different perspectives. Well, one has nationwide influence, the other one has statewide influence. Yeah, but I guess I could have picked a uh, take Cuomo for example. Actually, Cuomo is uh, New York is opening up as well. Uh, at least that was the campaign that they were pushing throughout the week. Is that yeah, New York is opening up. What that means yet is well, COVID passports is what it means. But again, two different perspectives on on approaching. Finally, according to New York Times, quote, reaching herd immunity is unlikely in the U.S., experts now believe. So I'm reading a quote from their article. Now more than half of adults in the United States have been inoculated with at least one dose of vaccine. But daily vaccination rates are slipping. And there is a widespread consensus among scientists and public health experts that the herd immunity threshold is not attainable, at least not in the foreseeable future, and perhaps not ever. Why is th- why this is interesting is that, you know, at this point, there is no, like, going away of COVID. The problem is that if we only do this or do that, uh, and then, you know, it's not going to come to any resolution at this point. It's impossible to do that. It was impossible promise to make in the first place. The normal will not be like a singular, I guess, event. Uh, this will be a long dazed recovery like you kind of feel like you return to normal but it's just lying to you you're like yeah it's normal but it's not and it's slowly getting there and you know you see less and less people going along with it then the article went on to say by focusing on vaccinated the most vulnerable the united states has already brought those numbers down sharply if the vaccination levels of that group continue to rise the expectation is that over time the coronavirus may become seasonal like the flu an effect mostly the young and the healthy. Again, we see a difference in between the 
nationwide perspective and then the perspective of governors that want to stand up and uh, make their own change. You know, DeSantis was talking about, you know, supply has eclipsed the demand. That means everyone that wanted the vaccine has gotten it. It's time to open up uh, versus, I think, other governors who maybe want to hold on to their power or uh, just don't know what to do. They're going to follow the nationwide guidelines. And that's uh, much more stringent, uh, much more fear mongering. Yeah, speaking of those national guidelines, so you mentioned earlier, you know, Fauci raising the bar with 80 to, yeah, they say that at this point, 90% is probably the likely herd immunity for this. That's until we see another COVID variant, they say, because the moment a COVID variant enters into the picture, they have to recalculate the numbers again and go through the whole thing again. So then it's, you know, even higher and higher and pretty much it's going to be impossible. So all this hate division suspicion towards anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, Republicans, conservatives, Christians, it will not come to a conclusive end. Uh, Since there will be no end, there will be a gradual forgetting maybe, and there seems no chance in the near future to deal with the bitterness that has been poisoning our country. And as a result, we will have to go back to normal without our government, as it's been already happening around the country. Now, speaking of bitterness, we turn to our second Uh, out of our top five topics uh, or issues of the week. The bitterness over Trump that never ended. Take a listen to this. The social media giant Facebook says it will continue to ban Donald Trump from its website. His posts on Facebook and on Instagram, which the company also owns, were originally restricted after it ruled the outgoing president had broken its standards and rules. Those messages were posted during the invasion of the U.S. Capitol building in Washington. He appeared to sympathize with the attackers while continuing to insist that he had won a landslide victory in the presidential election. Now, in a statement, Facebook's oversight board said it has upheld the decision on January the 7th, 2021 to restrict then-President Donald Trump's access to posting content on his Facebook page and Instagram account. But it added that it was not appropriate for Facebook to impose indefinite sus- suspension and there will be a review of the decision carried out within six months. It's worth noting that Mr. Trump remains permanently banned from Twitter and YouTube has said it will only reinstate his account once the threat of real-world violence is reduced. As for Mr. Trump, he's launched his own website with microblogs and some embedded video and is encouraging his supporters to retweet or post them on the major social media sites to which he does not have access. Honestly, banning him from all these social medias and like giving him some suspensions, like I, I think it's a little bit, you know, in safe words, silly, you know, if you, if I may. But I have social media and I've seen the stuff that they allow on there. And to ban Trump because he posts his own political views and stuff and what he believes in and the stuff that they let pass, it's unbelievable that they, there's a lot more inappropriate stuff. Like the, these social medias have a lot younger audiences and the stuff that they're focusing on isn't the right stuff. These younger people have access to these other things that will affect them in the future and affect how they think and what they see and they'll have a, a different view of the world. Yeah, it, it is kind of silly. Usually they have to reinstate the account within seven days of, you know, like something, you know, you post something or some kind of incident, I guess, happens. In this case, a special case, it seems like there might be a different decision in six months' time. Uh, what caught my attention is they said, once the threat of real-world violence is reduced. So, you know, is that when half of Americans that voted for Trump, you know, swear allegiance to Biden? Is that uh, when everybody will say, oh, the January 6th was an insurrection. 
Like, at which point you decide that the threat of real-world violence is reduced? I guess when they go and admit that this completely made-up made up reason to ban Trump is no longer in effect, I guess. I don't know. And, and this only fuels the divide. You know, this is... It seems like it's an intentional political control of what, of what you could argue has become a public square. Any other candidate has a voice except the one who has been cleared from the alleged incitement on the January 6th mob storming of the Capitol. Have you seen his social, his new social network? I had a chance to look at it kind of briefly. I, this new blog kind of seems, it's really similar to the stuff he used to post on Twitter. Uh, but now he kind of doesn't have that obnoxiousness factor because it's, it's separate from the big platforms. I have sympathy for Trump. At the same time, he had a chance to address this while he was in office and he had Republicans in the majority. I mean, even now they're having hearings with the, you know, the Biden administration, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. They're talking about Section 230 going back and forth on all that stuff and so he had a chance to to also weigh in on that you know four years of presidency uh, but i guess he just felt untouchable and now that he uh now that he's lost the second term he was counting on he's kind of left without a leg to stand on yeah you still can read what he posts but i think a big part of the whole discourse was the response from the other side just because he was i guess posting this tweets, you know, for everybody to see, and then the response, and then the news articles, uh, that probably made the picture fuller. Yeah, and I think he kind of thrived in that environment where he would kind of play off of people. Like, even when Trump was in a room full of people, you know, he would play off his audience, he would, um, he would basically just try to incite a reaction, he really thrived in that. And I think if they offered a comment, and I haven't really seen it, maybe they do have a comment section here, but it's just not apparent. If they offered a comment section where, you know, some disagreements would have begun, maybe that would have been interesting. But at this point, it's just somewhere in the closet. You you, you could go read Trump's stuff, but it's just off to the side. I want to conclude with this, you know, that uh, the 2020 election left us with quite a few questions. And while the left never doubted the thing, the evidence was enough to say in such tight election, maybe we should update our laws to ensure that fraud is not dealt with completely, then at least reduced to minimal. And as a result, we have seen some positive outcomes in Georgia. And as of this week, according to New York Times, hours after Florida installed a rash of new voting restrictions, the Republican-led legislature in Texas presented ahead on Thursday with its own far-reaching bill that would make it one of the most difficult states in the nation in which to cast a ballot. Now, these are measures that are meant to ensure that elections are legitimate. L- listen, if all these op- are obstacles for you to vote, maybe you shouldn't vote, right? Because it's, it, it's not something that should be brought you know, over to your bedside for your highness to sign. It is, you know, it's a right given to every American citizen and uh, you should put some effort into exercising that right. If that means getting an ID, you go get an ID, right? And, and if that means, you know, taking the time off work to go vote, then maybe taking the time off work to go vote. I, I look at it, our parents came as immigrants into this country with nothing, no money, no language, had to get a job, had to learn the language. I mean, they literally had to start at the bottom of the society. They had to go to college, they had to figure it out, had to apply for citizenship, had to learn how to vote. Some are still learning how to vote. Maybe if we taught this generation, you know, biblical principles, maybe we wouldn't have seen such a change in lifestyles. And as a result in their social and economic status. But no, we trample on the biblical foundations and then we try to create, you know, relaxed rules that they actually end up hurting the democracy. Now, this third topic is just out there. Here's a 
soundbite that kind of compiles together. See, see if you can catch what, what the topic is about. We have not created an infrastructure to support birthing people. All pregnant and birthing people deserve to be treated with love. Birthing while black should not be a death sentence. Health equity for black birthing people is attainable. Mothers and babies and black birthing people are important. We desperately need long-term fixes to support the health care needs of black women and birthing people. The most marginalized black and indigenous birthing people. To systemically shift the way we approach health care for birthing people of color, and respectful of black women and birthing people. The maternal mortality crisis among black birthing people in the United States. Black birthing people and birthing people. For birthing people. Black birthing people. And our black birthing persons. For all birthing persons in Louisiana. That birthing people want doulas and midwives. In support for birthing people during the postpartum period. There are not enough black workers of color, leaving black birthing people with limited autonomy or opportunity to receive racially concordant care. Protect black birthing people and to save lives. Birthing people is what we're talking about. Um, I think I'm pretty in touch with uh, what the kids these days are saying. I think after like four explanations, I finally know what a vibe check is. <laughs> uh, birthing people? It just doesn't like I, I can't even really follow the logic of it. Like, is it? It's just moms. You're, but. you're trying to, yeah. So, <laughs> motherhood, you have ovaries and a uterus, and so you are able to give birth, which is a key component of motherhood. And you just want to change the name to include who exactly? Other or, people that have ovaries right. and a uterus and can give birth. In the audio clip, they they try to mention a black women all, which I, I'm pretty sure that falls into the same category as motherhood, as you said. Like, I don't. I don't think anybody really segregated those groups. I just don't know why we have to change our vocabulary to to be inclusive, I guess, of something that's so obviously contrived. I mean, if you're a mother and you can do things that mothers do, like give birth, then you should just be called a mother or a woman. And what do you, what about all the mothers that are, you know, that adopted and never gave birth? Uh, what do we call a transgender parent that didn't give birth is that is that still what, what does it what is a parent i mean this is just this this is just so, out there. so is it the act of giving birth or is it the potential to be able to give birth hmm. maybe we should call them able ability <laughs> <laughs> birth 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 able people birth enabled people there you go yeah <laughs> i don't know but you know that the, the, there's this uh organization n-a-r-a L, a pro-choice group, they defended the use of the phrase, quote, when we talk about birthing people, we're being inclusive. It's that simple. They argued um, that we use gender-neutral language when talking about pregnancy because it's not just cisgender women that can get pregnant and give birth. Reproductive freedom is for every body. Of course, they received plenty of criticism, and not just this organization, but, you know, Democrats. What you've heard before is a clip of bunch of Democrats, you know, on the House floor and in multiple Zoom calls and meetings using the term that's now become, I guess, common use. One critic asked, for example, in a tweet, uh, this question, why do you never listen to the many women who actually tell, tell you clearly that this language does not feel inclusive to them? This language obscures the group of people who are responsible for 100% of reproductive labor. Another person tweeted, can you give an example of someone other than a woman who can get pregnant and give birth? I'll wait. And uh, then there was another one. This language doesn't feel inclusive at all. 
I believe in live and let live, but the woman who gave birth to me is my mother. And this Sunday is not birthing people's day, it's Mother's Day. It has gotten to a point where women feel under attack for being naturally born women. Listen, I understand the language evolves and some updates, you know, need to happen. But when liberal ideology, meaning that just one progressive group in the country decides to enforce a new vocab on the rest of the people, there better be an outrage from us. First, they'll steal the language, then they'll write it into the line. The next thing you know, it you, you ought to use a proper pronoun and acknowledge somebody's alternative reality, you know, that the person is floating in. Welcome to the lightning round, where we take headlines from our cutting room floor and run through them in a brief fashion. So the Israeli president, Yair Lapid, uh, is under pressure to form a coalition in the government. He first ran for presidency under the assumption that he would bring checks and balances, but uh, it seems like until he can cobble together some kind of coalition, uh, Netanyahu will remain prime minister. It seems like they're split to a point where he needs to bring more people on his side, but almost everyone outside of the right-wing bloc has refused to join his government due to the corruption charges. And so they're kind of left, I guess, basically they're in this stalemate. And that's why he wasn't able to do anything. And it looks like they might be heading into the fifth election. Mass protests were held across Colombia on Wednesday after a night of unrest in the capital city of Bogota as street violence continued after more than a week of angry anti-government demonstrations. There was a similar story in Brazil uh, this week as well, where police, the state police, uh, entered into a favela in Rio de Janeiro, and they were targeting these drug traffickers um, from one of the most notorious, Brazil's most notorious criminal organizations. And as a result, 28 people were dead, and because of that, they had similar protests against government against brutality. So now now that Britain has left the EU, they're having a little spat with France about the fishing rights in, in the English Channel, I guess. So both France and Britain have deployed Navy patrol boats to Jersey uh, in this dispute. And on Monday, in Mexico City, a subway train overpass collapsed, uh, killing at least 24 people, including children. More than 60 people were injured. Photos and videos from the scene showed uh, mangled train cars hanging from the crumbled overpass and rescue personnel searching and transporting the injured on stretchers. There's an ongoing investigation as to how it came to that. U.S. General Mark Milley has said that Afghanistan could face possible bad outcomes uh, as the U.S. withdraws troops. So he indicated to, at the Afghan military that numbers more than 300,000 and said... Uh, that on the one hand, you have some really dramatic, bad possible outcomes. On the other hand, you get a military that stays together and a government that stays together. A member of the National Guard from Wisconsin, Abram Markovsky, has been charged in the Capitol riots of January 6th. According to Bloomberg, rents are soaring in many U.S. cities. Well, maybe you don't even need Bloomberg to know that. Um, but they're saying as the economy rebounds, squeezing the budget of tenants who also face increased risk of eviction, after the court overturned a pandemic-era ban. A federal judge on Wednesday threw out U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention's nationwide moratorium on eviction, but agreed to put a temporary hold on her ruling as the government seeks to reverse the decision on appeal. What that means is that time for free rent has expired. As Bitcoin reached over a trillion dollar in assets, there's a new incarnation of money trying to be pushed by various governments like the EU and the United States uh, and also China. Uh, so be on the lookout for, uh, for Fed coin and the E-Euro. I think this is a 
huge step in finally uh, like completely removing cash from our society. Once those two merge together, then boom, you've got yourself one world government. Conspirators' dreams come true. Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> the number of births in the U.S. fell uh, 4% in 2020, dropping to the lowest level since 1979 and continuing a multi-year trend of declining birth rates, according to a report published on Wednesday. I mean, you would, you would think that during the pandemic, uh, I guess the births would go up since people are more home. But as I mean, this is probably a trend of uh, U.S. in general, just kind of, I guess, the next generation having less and less kids. Yeah, I mean, now that we're in an economic crisis, I don't, I don't see people really rushing to have more kids. The government of China has removed the Bible app from their uh, virtual marketplaces and also shut down uh, Christian WeChat accounts. So they're really stepping up their, what's, what's it called, the Great Firewall? So I basically, um, I was reading about how Xi Jinping wants to make, basically wants to dominate like the global internet market. And so he has like three areas where there's a red area, pro-communist Mm-hmm. content and then there's like a white area that's strictly off limits and then there's a gray area that's in between so it seems like he's uh like he's already making moves or whoever's in charge of it is already making moves to remove like christian content i know prior to this there was a story a few weeks ago about um signification of the bible they were trying or the government was attempting to alter the bible so that it's in line with the current political situation I uh, I asked my friend what it's like to be living in China. He said he can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> it's late, but it, you know, uh, it was appreciated. Okay. Right. <laughs> that was a joke in case you guys didn't get it. Now, in tragic news, in Idaho, a sixth-grade girl allegedly shot and wounded two students and a custodian uh, at an Idaho middle school on Thursday before she was disarmed by a female teacher according to the week. So basically they were, you know, school was going on as usual. Then there was loud noise and screaming and they went in to check, found a bunch of blood. Uh, The three three victims reportedly were hit in arms and legs and are expected to survive. The teacher just held the kid, I guess, till authorities arrived. So far, we we don't know what the motive is. Uh, She just came in, pulled out a gun from her backpack and fired numerous times inside and outside the middle school. Uh, the lawyer that represented Derek Chauvin is asking for a new trial. Uh, there's been uh, more evidence released that juror number 38 was dishonest in the jury questionnaire and, in fact, was uh, wearing BLM merchandise while he was at a protest in Washington, D.C. Um, and so this has sparked a lot of concerns. I think it was kind of expected that they're going to have a retrial, if you will. I mean, they right now they probably have a list of options. This is probably going to drag out. Yeah, but the but the standard procedure doesn't really mean anything anymore. That's the issue, I think, because you know you just have another angry mob outside the courthouse, and then you'll get the jury to do whatever you want at this point. Peloton is recalling about 125,000 of its treadmills less than a month after denying they were dangerous and saying it would not pull them from the market, even though they were linked to the death of a child and injuries of 29 others. The company said Wednesday that it will now offer full refunds for the Peloton Tread Plus treadmills, which cost more than $4,200. It would it will also stop selling them. You would expect it to have some kind of sensor. I mean, even if you fall and you know, your hand gets stuck in there or something. The White House today launched a website 
AI.gov to make artificial intelligence research more accessible. The U.S. once led significantly in the global AI race, but now risks being overtaken by China. So the White House is trying to drum up excitement. The target audience in the general public, including teachers and students interested in science. And just like that, we're inching close. I mean, what's the end goal of this, right? So China's got uh, an immense AI system working in, in it's, and it's doing a great job for the government. Keeps everybody in check. Massive surveillance, uh, social credit. I'm not saying that that's where it's going, but. Yeah, it's interesting because China really does see itself as kind of a civilization state. And they try to bring in other, you know, developing countries where, you know, under the guise of infrastructure, they'll make deals with them, uh, you know, economic deals supposedly, but they would outsource a lot of this surveillance stuff. Who knows what for, but they're, it's a big deal. Speaking of China, uh, well, and kind of coming to an end of our lightning round here with our final category of space. The main stage of Chinese rocket is likely to plunge to Earth soon, as soon as... By the time you guys hear this, you'll probably already know where it landed. Yep. So the launch, the, the, the rocket was launched on April 29th. Uh, its mission was to carry into orbit a module containing living quarters for a future Chinese space station. Now, in other space news, there were two other significant events, in my opinion. The SpaceX launched and landed its Starship in its first successful flight, if you will. So they actually have been able to pick that thing up and land it down without a problem. Well, there was a small fire in the end, but overall that was a success. It is a huge rocket, bigger even than NASA, NASA's Saturn V that took astronauts to the moon. So NASA released a video Friday showing Ingenuity's fourth flight uh, on April 30th. When the helicopter flew a 872-foot round trip test. Now, the recording, I mean, th- this recording is, is first of all, num- the first in history, right, of, of us flying a drone, I guess, on another planet. But beyond that, they're hoping to use the audio and the video and all of the data they're getting to uh, find out more about the Martian atmosphere and the way, I guess, the drone behaves in the, you know, with, the, with the winds and so on. It's just, it's pretty cool. And that concludes our lightning round. Congrats to all of you for getting this far. Uh, we are on to our final two topics of today, starting with uh, Promise Keepers Men's Conference scheduled for July in Dallas should be canceled due to the CEO's biblical beliefs on sexuality. This Promise Keepers Conference is a men's Christian conference that was founded in, founded in 1990 by a college football coach by the name of Bill McCartney. It is scheduled for uh, July 16th to the 17th to be held at the AT&T Stadium, which is home to the Dallas Cowboys. So Mike Freeman, the sports columnist for USA Today, wants Jerry Jones, the owner of Cowboys and AT&T, to make the event disappear because of CEO Ken Harrison's comments. Harrison said culture is having a negative effect on men. Harrison said, quote, one of the things they're doing to make their agenda happen is destroying the identity of American people. And if they can get Christians, especially Christian men, to sit down, be silent and be passive, then they can be effective. Harrison also said it's working. Christian men are not standing up for what's right. I mean, you think about how quickly we went up from homosexual marriage to men putting on dresses, being called women and playing on women's basketball teams. Where are the Christian men? I think there's, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there about manliness, right? Masculinity, identity, uh, what what it means to be a real man. 
right? And I think even even in Christian culture, like what it means to be a godly man, because it's not just to be a man from a biological perspective, but to be a man in the footsteps of Christ, you need to assert the truth and serve at the same time. So you need to be loving and kind, but also stand up for what is true. And this is, I guess, what, what he's getting at in saying, you know, that you've got this passivity from from the Christian church. I mean, you can even look at the geopolitical scene where China is practicing kind of soft eugenics to basically breed uh, humans that have extraordinary strength and stamina, uh, you know, making super soldiers. And here we are too busy trying to talk about our feelings and how we identify. It's pathetic. Uh, yeah. So Freeman, the, the guy from USA Today, also uh, what he said is, Comments like Harrison shouldn't be anywhere near the NFL team. A company like AT&T shouldn't be associated with them either. Freeman then also said, by allowing this conference to happen at one of football's meccas and by AT&T allowing it, they are helping to mainstream hate speech. Freeman wrote, if owner Jerry Jones, one of the most powerful men in all sports, didn't want the event to occur at the stadium, he could likely use his influence to make it disappear. Same with AT&T. The battle against this type of bigotry is fought in in part on this level. So uh, Harrison stood with his statement saying that today's culture is, quote unquote, blurring the lines in sexual identity. Harrison uh, talked about himself in The Promise Keepers sticking with the biblical worldview about a man and a woman. Harrison rejects his word in being hate speech. If you look at the definition of hate speech, right? I got a quote in front of me. Speech that is intended to insult, intimidate, or cause prejudice against the person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, or phys- physical appearance. Now, if if that's the definition, then yeah, Christians should not participate in hate speech. And I think that's clear. But the problem is when it broadens over time, when it becomes, you know, when it starts to claim territory that it was never meant to cover. When it comes to a point where you proclaiming a certain belief or certain activity is wrong or sinful based on biblical principles is being included into that hate, you know, speech then we're facing much bigger problems. The Bible tells us, right, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, how you ought to answer each person. And, and so the idea is that our biblical worldview informs us of what is right and what is wrong. And as a result, we will offer commentary on the world, right? We will state our beliefs, um, but we are called to do it with love. Because, I mean, what, what is the hate component, right? It's not. It's completely arbitrary, yeah. eye of the beholder kind of stuff. Um, I think that I'm just surprised that this story is being taken with any kind of seriousness. Just because some pompous hack that works for the USA Today wants to virtue signal, it seems more like Freeman should be canceled for not knowing what he's talking about. You know, a few episodes ago, we mentioned a story where the there was a bill trying to get passed in California that would punish police for expressing religious or conservative views. Uh, and that was... Uh, truly, like arbitrary eye of the beholder stuff, like, uh, you know, whatever it could be loosely defined as homophobic or racist language. Um, and so we really see like it's Christian rhetoric, I guess, uh, is really kind of being conflated here in this article. And so I see kind of the same thing here where Freeman is projecting his hate for Christian organizations and he's hiding behind this kind of, uh, he's just regurgitating this mantra about hate speech and bigotry. And I think it continues to point to a bigger problem that is going behind the scenes right now. And that is that Christians 
are sort of the last barrier to this progressive movement that wants to, you know, reshape the country as we know it. And Christians, because they hold on to biblical values, because they have this objective source of truth that hasn't changed over time, it is in a sense linked historically to the past. You know, and so, yes, our we have a lot of traditional views. And so as the left attempts to rewrite uh, all of this, uh, we just stand in the way. Yeah, and as uh, Harrison says that the rallies are welcome to anybody who wants to hear about how Jesus has died for their sins and to be forgiven. He also, uh, Harrison also mentions that the Prom- Promise Keepers website says, build up godly men for a better tomorrow. And it also says, more than ever, America needs a revival of godly men. So on this topic of LGBT, there is a transgender lift weightlifter who is expected to compete as a woman in the Tokyo Olympics. The weightlifter Laurel Hubbard is supposedly going to represent New Zealand during the Olympic Games. Hubbard qualified for the Olympics after the committee amended the qualification rules because of the pandemic. New Zealand has not yet confirmed Hubbard on the team spot, but source with the International Weight Weightlifting Federation confirmed to Guardian Hubbard will compete in the summer. The team will be nominated will be formally nominated in June. And not only will Hubbard be a trans competitor, but they will also be the oldest oldest competitor. How old is he? Uh, f- I believe it said 45. I'm pretty sure he's 45, 46. Mm-hmm. Hubbard is ranked fourth out of 14 qualifiers in the super heavyweight category. IOC guidelines states, person who transitioned from male to female can compete without surgery if they keep their total testosterone level in serum below 10 nanomoles per liter for at least a year. So they literally have to run tests to uh, determine the testosterone levels? That's a, that's a, that's a really yeah. interesting. Okay. Hubbard uh, lived 35 years as a man before transitioning, saying, the pressure of trying to fit in, perhaps a world wasn't really set up for people like myself he stated this in 2017 so there's a male who's going to be oh okay i see what the the deal here is basically he's going to be competing as a as a woman mm-hmm. on the woman against all the other yeah. women essentially okay hubbard uh, has also said quote to be honest i had to wait until the world changed before i could really compete again and i'm grateful that it has hubbard added i think even 10 years ago the world perhaps wasn't ready for an athlete like myself perhaps it's not ready now but i got the sense at least that people are willing to consider me for these competitions so uh, how do you guys feel about this happening i mean this is the perfect time for him to do it he's right this is the time when stories like these uh make it you know to the top and I guess our societies nowadays are uplifting these kind of people. And because this is New Zealand and because it's on a global level, yeah, what a message to send to the world. Speaking of things the world was not ready for, this week, Bill and Melinda Gates announced on their Twitter accounts that after 27 years of marriage, they're getting a divorce. Here's a quote. After a great deal of thought and a lot of work in our relationship, we have made the decision to end our marriage. Uh, This was said by the two of them in kind of a joint statement. Uh, Over the last 27 years, we have raised three incredible children and built a foundation that works all over the world to enable all people to lead healthy, productive lives. We continue to share a belief in that mission and will continue our work together at the foundation, but we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. We ask for space and privacy for our family as we begin to navigate this new life. Apparently, this was a long time coming, and they were essentially waiting for their youngest daughter to turn 18 before finally breaking off their ties. They say they will continue to work together on their philanthropic foundation, 
one of the largest in the world, with nearly $50 billion in assets. Because there is no prenup contract to speak of, they will be dividing their assets in court, including their 66,000-square-foot home in Washington and three other houses and a privately owned island in Belize. Bill Gates also owns more farmland than any other individual in the entire U.S. A straight split of the Gates' official fortune could see Bill slide down to number 17, so right now he's, on, he's number 4 on Forbes' rich list. I'm not choosing to relay this story out of some salacious need to expose problems famous people are having in their romantic life. Uh, for the most part, those tabloid headlines don't really interest me. But Bill and Melinda are not ordinary people, not even ordinary celebrities. Although they give off the appearance of a mutual agreement to split up, TMZ reports that this was not a friendly split, and most of the family has beef with Bill for various things they claim that he had done. Melinda rented a private island near Granada for $132,000 a night and invited everyone in the family except Bill. It seems to me she was trying to get away from prying questions until things uh, had settled down. I'm not so worried about the particulars of the divorce itself as the effects it will have on one of the most powerful men in the world. This kind of crisis can lead a person to do drastic things. The midlife crisis is a well-known phenomena where people are filled with a sudden zeal to seize the day and make the best use of their dwindling lifetime. It begs the question, how much growing is there left to do when you're in your mid-50s and 60s? You have all the money you could ever want. Uh, do you guys think there's more to this story? I was reading a commentary uh, on this story by Jim Dennison, and he was saying, we cannot give what we do not have. Since love is the first fruit of the Spirit, I cannot unconditionally love my wife unless I can share with her the unconditional love of God. She and I can truly forgive each other, encourage each other, and support each other to the degree that we experience and share the forgiveness, encouragement, and support of Jesus. This goes to say that you could have all the money, you could be the, you know, the richest man in the world, but if you don't have Jesus, if you don't got your relationship on a, on a solid foundation of, of biblical principles, then nothing's going to hold it together. So yeah, of course, uh, being an open atheist, I guess, towards the latter part of his life plays into that. No surprise that the marriage can stay together. Is there growing left uh, in your mid-50s and 60s? Well, that depends, I guess, who you are as a person. I mean, with these people having all the money in the world... Is there somebody else that, that, that's involved here from either side? Basically, Bill Gates has an ex-girlfriend that he, um, in 1994, before he married Melinda, he basically asked her permission. And so ever since then, once a year, they, they will go off on a vacation together at some, some beach house. I don't know. And again, considering that these people are, you know, they can essentially live however they want based on their, you know, what they've achieved in life, at least according to to the world standards. With all of this, I guess it's just not surprising at all that this fell apart. And waiting till the kids grew up, that was just probably a, at least some principle. I guess they had that one down. Dennis, Bill Gates is getting divorced. Yeah, I don't really care about that. Ouch. I don't know what to tell you. So one of the most powerful men in the world is all of a sudden plunged into a midlife crisis. What are the implications of this? Let's dive in. So for all the appearances of philanthropy and you know human secularism trying to find good without god all that stuff bill gates is really showing himself to be a wolf in sheep's clothing you know i don't want to give too much credibility to conspiracy theories but there have been warning signs pointing to bill even before this before the pandemic before the vaccines i've already mentioned the bill and melinda gates foundation supposedly the greatest philanthropic organization with lofty goals of mitigating environmental and healthcare crises in developing countries. 
In reality, these are euphemisms for the Gates Foundation to champion population control and to experiment with eugenics. Bill has already landed himself in hot water in Ghana and Namibia, where allegations were made that his foundation sponsored experimental programs where women would be admitted to hospitals, uh, you know, giving birth. And so in the stack of papers that they sign when they're admitted, you know, they slip in this uh, this contract basically where you agree to be sterilized uh, if they found out you have AIDS or something like that. So they were essentially coerced without their knowledge. And so this, this sort of thing, which leads to greater mistrust of healthcare providers and hospital systems in those countries. And so it leads to even greater health problems. You know, in a TED Talk in 2010, he presented the notion that in order to achieve the CO2 emissions goal, uh, population had to be reduced by 10 to 15 percent. The foundation has dumped millions of dollars into various pro-abortion organizations and contraceptive technologies, including microchip contraceptives. A lot of focus is on vulnerable and impoverished nations in sub-Saharan Africa. He's been in the spotlight most recently in tandem with Dr. Fauci as a sort of guiding voice as the U.S. grinds through the COVID pandemic. He seems to relish the attention and credibility given to him. My main concern is that his ambitions will go unfettered as this midlife crisis can cause him to do things just to see what happens. Like Mark Zuckerberg is fond of saying, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And this pandemic has given Bill more power than ever before, both in public relations and an opportunity to address a crisis and have people follow him and take him at his word. He's clearly become one of the main boogeymen of right-wing conspiracies. Am I just being paranoid? Do we need to pump the brakes? I think the paranoia is justified. Uh, These guys are, you know... They're high profile, right? And they're the Nero's of our time, if you will. The fact that their lives are way outside of like what we can even imagine. Like they they literally have the world at their fingertips makes them look like now being a person who has so much wealth, right? Who pretty much achieved everything he probably wanted to, you probably move on to much bigger goals, dreams, which is to save the world this whole God complex, right, of, of trying to play a huge grand role in, you know, saving humanity. Um, and because they're, you know, when you when you have these kind of gigantic efforts, whether it be Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, we, we're not intimately familiar with those efforts. And to us, they look like God playing. And in that sense, knowing the human nature, we do get suspicious when we let a person play God's role, knowing that they're fallible in their character. So the paranoia is, has merit. Yeah, those are good points. I think more scrutiny needs to be applied to the programs that the Bill and Melinda Foundation are sponsoring and implementing. I think they wield a lot of power and have a lot of potential for corruption as they hide behind the facade of humanitarianism. There's a lot of danger in giving any one human almost godlike power. At the end of the day, their judgment and ability to make decisions is only at a human level. This divorce reveals that Bill Gates can feel emotions of pride, sadness, and pressure about as much as the next person. As the saying goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad that you have joined us for another episode of Life Ring. Please consider sharing it with a friend or family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we'd like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would have the only true worldview. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next week. See you.